Good morning. morning. And welcome to church. Welcome to the body and bride of Christ, the the hope of the world. Welcome to a a, a gathering of people who have been freed by his blood, redeemed from their past, made alive by the Spirit, and empowered and surrounded by his unfailing love. And, and, And listen, like the song we just sang, Jesus is here. Pepper Grove, the, the king, the king is among us. For real. Uh, like I'm not kidding. Because the Bible tells me so. You see, John opens up in Revelation, he, he talks about Jesus appearing to him, which totally freaked John out, by the way. I mean, Jesus' hair and head were white like snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were like polished bronze refined in the fire, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves, and a sharp double-edged sword came flying from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Yeah, no wonder John fell at his feet as though he was dead. And then Jesus tells John, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death in the grave. And then Jesus tells John and us that, that he walks among the seven lampstands. And Jesus tells us that those seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus was walking among those seven churches. And listen, when you read what Jesus said to those churches, it's obvious he was walking among them because he knew exactly what was going on. And I just thought it was appropriate as we began this morning to remind ourselves that the one whose eyes are like blazing fire and the one who has a double sword coming out of his mouth, the one whose face is as brilliant as the sun in all its glory, that he's among us, that he's here. And so we should lean in and listen to him. Again, welcome to church. Yeah, because sometimes we forget that. Like, you just think you're in a building, right? I just think I'm in a building. We're here hanging out today. It's raining. Should we go? Should we not go? You know, and, and Jesus is here. And the God we worship is big and strong and powerful and mighty. He's always existed. He holds all things together. He's holding this earth together right now. I'm going to begin with some words that God breathes. So lean in and hear the voice of the one who walks among us. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's crazy, right? Like if you're in a company and your CEO came over to your house, would you expect him to come and start doing the dishes and cleaning your bathroom? Jesus came and he didn't come for people to serve him. He came to serve. And then Paul says this, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He made in human likeness. 
being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming a beating to death, even death on a cross. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus these words. Christ is the head of his body, the church, and he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps. It helps. The other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your presence in this room this morning. We acknowledge, God, that we are messed up people, saved by your grace in need of your mercy. And God, I pray this morning that you would open up our hearts and minds, that we would lean into your word, to your truth. And God, we'll know that even as we sit in these chairs, that the King is among us and that you're walking among us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Week three in our message series, The End of Me, Where Real Life Begins. Uh, where does real life begin? When we get to the, to the end of me. And here are our two core verses, our two core end of me verses. Verses in Luke 17. If you cling to your life, live for me, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, the end of me, you will save it. Real life will begin. You died to this life, the end of me, and your real life is hidden, is hidden with Christ and God. You see, if we want a real life, if we want a full life, if we want a blessed life, then we must get to the end of me. Because, because here, here's the deal. Me is what is keeping you from the life God intends you to live. You know, this morning, I got up kind of early and I came to say, hey, I'm going to do my quiet time at church because I had to do some things over here. And I, I sat by that rock over there, that 700-pound rock, and, and I was having a really good time with God, reading Psalm 90, very appropriate on your birthday, where he says, teach me the brevity of life. I'm like, no kidding. Like, wow, how did I get to 58? That's like crazy. Like, it seems like just yesterday I was a kid, right? It goes so fast. We got to take advantage of it. And, and I, I wrote a prayer to the Lord. I said, Lord, help me to be me. Not the me that's all about me, but the me that's all about and all for you. You see, you got to get to the end of me to live the life you want to live. Now, look three people in the eye. You may have to move around a little bit and tell them, I got to get to the end of me. Go ahead. All right. I'm teaching you all some good communication skills, good grammar. I'm known for that. Now, now, if you've been here the last two Sundays, you know that we have had us some church around here. And we've been getting real. And I've got to be honest, the last two weeks have completely blew my mind. In week one of the series, we talk about how we have to be broken in order to be made whole. And on that Sunday, 100 plus people picked up a card. And they wrote on that card, Lord, help me with. And, and then they, they rang a bell, symbolizing, they're asking God for help. God, I'm broken. I, I can't fix this. I can't restore this. I can't mend this. I need your help. A hundred plus people. Deep, serious stuff. 
The elders and I spent over three hours praying over each individual card. I think the women's Bible study, I gave them a basket. I said, hey, could you all just pull a card out and, and pray for them? And, and, and then last Sunday, are you kidding me, right? And we talked about the fact that we have to, um, we, we have to mourn to, 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 to be happy. And, and, and we said that, we, that in your loss, you have to mourn. For this lost world, we have to mourn. And then for our sins, we have to mourn. And we talked about how sin's a big deal, how your sin's a big deal, and you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And, and, and your sin is part of the reason why God chose to crush Jesus on the cross. And, and we had a card last week that said, I repent of. You know, and I laid all these cards out thinking, okay, I don't know if anybody's going to actually do this one, right? You know, I repent of a specific sin. 83 people wrote on a card saying, God, I repent of this sin. And you know what the Bible says in Luke 15, right? There's joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. How about 83? How about the ones who didn't fill out a card? Man, I'll tell you what, it has been church around here the last two weeks because church is about getting real. It's about embracing our brokenness. It's about embracing our broken mess. It's about being poor in spirit. It's about Asking God for help. It's about repenting of our sins and thereby unleashing God's blessing and God's comfort in our life. If you miss any of these messages, I really encourage you to check it out online or Facebook Live. We got this new camera here, totally freaking me out, you know? Because like I sing loud and I'm like, okay, like, are they just going to hear me on this thing? It's a camera and, 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 and audio. It's recording our Facebook Live feed. And I'm going like, I'm going to go over here. You know, because one time I heard it on live feed. I heard myself like, oh, my gosh. That was, like, awful, you know. You know it's, like, loud. And I was cleaning the church. I was my headphones in. Jim goes, you know you're singing? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I can mow my lawn outside and be singing, and they hear me in my house. So I'm, like, totally freaked out by you, camera. All right, I just want you to know that. You messed with me a little bit. But I encourage you to, to check that out. And I want you to know, we're, we're going to leave these three stations up throughout this series. Number one, because we're still broken, and maybe you want to write a prayer out to God and, and ring this bell. God, I need your help. I, I, I can't. I can't. Or maybe you want to repent of some sin, or maybe you want to grab a card and pray for somebody. Say, Lord, this person cried for help a few weeks ago. They cried out in their brokenness. Would you be with them? Would you help them? Like somebody said, would you help them with their anger? Would you help them with their fear? Would you help them? with their addictions. So they're going to stay out there for our, our response time. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, and the weather outside is frightful, but inside here is so delightful. And, and we're going to step out of the Beatitudes, but we're going to stay in our series, The End of Me. And today's conversation is called, There Is No Me in Team. All right? Look three people in the eye and tell them there's no me in team. There's no me and team. No way. Now, and let me warn you guys something right now. Okay, like uh, it's cold and wet outside, number one. You got nowhere to go. Number two, my wife isn't here because she's not feeling well, all right, to tell me, okay? She's not here to do that. And there was a number three that I, 
completely forgot, <laughs> okay? You know, but, but we're going to, oh, no, number three is, I forgot to turn my clock on, my counter on. It's my birthday. <laughs> it's my birthday. And, and, and I'm sure you heard that acrostic, right? Together, everyone achieves more. Together, we achieve what? We achieve more. I, I like more. Who achieves more? Everybody. How do we achieve more together? And listen, part of what makes teams so awesome and so powerful is something called synergy. I like that word. I actually feel kind of smart saying it, and I can actually pronounce that one, you know. And, and it's an even cooler concept. You see, synergy basically means that the sum, the effects, the results of a high-functioning team are always greater than the sum of the individual parts uh, like, for instance, like maybe by myself, I, I, can, I can push up 200 pounds and you can push up 200 pounds, but together we, we can push up 500 pounds. That's team, that's synergy, that's awesome. Now, later today, uh, the Patriots and the Eagles will face off in Super Bowl 52. And listen, no matter who wins, it will not be an individual win, but it will be a team win. With every player doing their job, because there is no me in team. There's no me in team. Teamwork makes a dream work, right? It's true. Here's some quotes about the power of team. Talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. Michael Jordan. Phil Jackson. The strength of the team is the individual. The strength of each individual is the team. Helen Keller, all of us can do so little. Together, we can do so much. And one guy said this, the way a team plays as a whole determines its success. You may have the greatest band of individual stars in the world, but if they don't play together, the club ain't worth a dime. George Herman, the babe, Ruth. And as I was preparing this message, I started wondering about, like, who are some of the, the greatest sports teams of all time? And so me and Mr. Google went cruising down the cyber highway together, and after extensive research, I present to you some of the greatest sports teams of all time. And they're not in any specific order, but here's one right here. The UCLA Bruins under Coach John Walton, won 10 national championships in 12 years. That picture's in 1973. And they just won their seventh straight title, and their seventh straight title and their second back-to-back undefeated seasons. And you know what Coach Wooden kept in his pocket? A cross. So when he stuck his hand there, he reminded what really matters. Here's another team. The Notre Dame fighting Irish. From 1946 to 1949, they won three national championships. And here's another great team. Hate them or love them, they're there, right? Since 2009, the Alabama Crimson Tide have been in six of nine championships, taking home the championship five times. Hate them or love them, you got to respect them. The Boston Celtics were a dynasty from 1957 to 1969, led by Coach Red Auerbach and center Bill Russell, they won 11 championships in 13 years. That's team. 
And I hate to do the next one, but I got to give the evil empire their props, the New York Yankees, right? They have won the World Series. They've been in the World Series 40 times, which is a pretty big deal when there's only been 113 of them. They've taken home the title 27 times. Their best run, this is crazy, was from 1949 to 1958 under K.C. Stengel. They, they were in the World Series seven, no, excuse me, World Series 10 years in a row. They won it seven times, and, and they won five in a row during that span. Another one that kind of hurts me, but it's real, the Pittsburgh Steelers. 1975, 1980, they won four Super Bowls. The Edmonton Oilers, from 1984 to 1990, they won the Stanley Cup five times. One more team. And get ready to hiss and boom, bring out your hate. <laughs> the New England. Hey! Oh! It's no, it don't matter. There they are. There they are. <laughs> <laughs> that was so awesome. I love you, man. That's cool. I thought you would have deleted it too. I love that. That's so awesome. Since 2001, they've played in eight of 17 Super Bowls, taking home five so far. They've averaged since that time 12.2 wins a season. They've won 77% of their games since 2001. They've won their division title 15 times. They've been in the AFC Championship 12 times. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and those are some great teams. Uh, but there's some greater teams. Uh, there, there's some teams that play for something a whole lot bigger and better than a Lombardi Trophy or Super Bowl ring. They're, they're guys in the Bible, you know, who are playing for the glory of God. And when you think of great teams in the Bible, what teams pop into your mind? Here's some I think of immediately. Noah and his three sons, Right? Think about it. Without a single power tool, they built a ship that was 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, 45 feet high, let alone they had to gather up all the animals and keep the human race alive. Moses and Aaron, another great team. Two brothers, both in their 80s, standing side by side, helping deliver God's people from a 400-year bondage. I mean, think about it. Armed only with their faith and a wooden staff, they brought the mighty Egyptian empire to its knees. And then I think of those, those three bros in the fiery furnace, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood together. They refused to bow to an idol, and their faith brought the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, to God, at least for a period of time. And then there's Nehemiah and his construction crew, right? Talk about a team. I mean, the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed and had been broken down for 150 plus years. And then Nehemiah comes in, he forms this team, and then they rebuild walls that had been broken for a, a century and a half in just 52 days. Old Testament was full of great teams. Uh, only guy I can think of who constantly tried to do it on his own didn't do so good. A guy named Samson, maybe you heard of him. Now in the New Testament, I think we have the greatest team in Scripture but it's also the greatest team in human history, the early church. Talk about synergy. Just a bunch of regular guys. No egos, no superstars, who just loved Jesus and they loved each other. 
And listen, if you want to see a picture of this unstoppable team in action, all you got to do is turn to the book of Acts, right? From 11 scared guys locked behind the door, they literally turned the world upside down. This church, this team, these people were radically devoted to God and his word. Whatever God told them to do, they did. Wherever God told them to go, they went. Whatever God told them to stop doing, they stopped doing it. And when they're told to either stop talking about Jesus or die, many of them chose death. I mean, one crazy guy on this team actually said this one time, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. No doubt about it, the greatest team in the face of the planet, my all-time favorite team is the church, the body and the bride of Christ, the hope of the world. In fact, we're in this room today, right, because of what those guys did 2,000 years ago, this team. You know, I, I wonder who will be here in the future because of our commitment to the team. What I'm trying to say is, I love the church. I, I love the local church because the local church is the church. I, I love this church. I love Maple Grove. Not the building, but I love this group of messed up Jesus followers that God has brought together. And, and I'm really excited about where we are and what God is doing in our midst and where he's going to take us in the coming weeks, months, and years. As we all get to the end of me where real life begins. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. This quote by Bill Hybels has inspired me for years. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. Our world's full of those. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing comes even close. Amen? Amen. And you know, when I, when, I, when I look at Maple Grove, I, I see two churches. I see the church that we are, and I'm thankful for that picture. You know, I, I'm thankful for the, the awesome elders that, that we have in Maple Grove. Uh, Steve Bailey, Jeff Ainge, Tom Zacharias, and, and Mark just stepped off. I mean, these are godly men. They love the Lord, they love the Word, they love this church, and they are true servant leaders. I'm thankful for the amazing staff that we have. I mean, you just don't get any better and find people more committed to the church, to the work of the church, and to students than Hannah and Laurie. I'm thankful for the incredible atmosphere and the acceptance you feel when you walk into this place. I'm thankful for the people leading and serving in the various ministries in our church. And there's a handout in the back that lists some of those ministries. 
I'm thankful for the growing desire for us to reach outside of this building more and more to pursue the lost and hurting with the love and compassion of Christ. You know, Compassion Sunday, man, that was great. Hunger Games, right? Bring in food, bring in food. People are going to eat that food that need that food, right? The Compassion Buckets, you know, giving out thousands of dollars last year to people who need it. Our life group who won the last Hunger Games got to give 400 plus dollars to a, 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 a family friend of a church member who has cancer and is suffering financially. And, I, and we got to give him 400 plus dollars. Just boom, here you go. Because we all put a few bucks in the bucket. Spring break camp, right? Where, where people, they didn't know where they were going to send their kids unless they had to pay $350. We were to come here from 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock for five days during spring break for free, right? And we're doing it again. Doing it again this year. 50 plus people from our community came in. Single moms, a uh, I, 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 Dad became a single dad right before that. What am I going to do with my two kids? I don't have 700 bucks. Guess what? They came here for free. They ate for free. Everything was free, free, free. If you'd like to help, man, we can use your help because we're doing it again um, this spring break. You know, the, our Christmas Eve offering, right? We, our goal, we doubled our goal of 2000 and, and pretty soon, and we'll let you know as soon as it gets going, you can watch it on Facebook, right? We're going to watch some of our brothers over in Nepal installing water purification systems in Nepal where people are going to have clean water that didn't have it before. I'm thankful for the partnership that we have with various ministries beyond our church. You see, our team is bigger than this. We, we, we partner with other teams out there. Man, I'm thankful for Love, Inc., right? Love, Inc., that connects the church with needs in our very own community, helping hundreds and hundreds every year. I'm thankful for Christ in Youth, an organization that we partner with that that ministers through conferences and international mission trips to tens of thousands of students every year, making them kingdom workers. I'm thankful for Way Church, Waypoint Church planters. I mean, they plant churches in Maryland and in Virginia and, and in North Carolina. And through these churches, thousands of people over the last few years have come to know Jesus Christ. And guess, guess what? They're part of our team. That's part of our victory. I'm thankful for Community Christian Academy down the road, right? They're providing education, a Christian education, a good education. The kids from all walks of life, and many come from homes that couldn't afford it. They go there on scholarship. I'm thankful for Advancing Native Missions. Man, they work with 8,500 indigenous missionaries in 80 countries taking the gospel to their homeland. And guess what? That's part of our team. Right? We, we get to share in those victories. I'm thankful for Mountain Mission School. Oh, my goodness. You know, 20,000 children from infant to adult have gone through Mountain Mission School. That was their home. It was their church. It was their family. You know, from all over Virginia, from all over the world, refugees, you name it. It is nuts. It is crazy. 95% of those 20,000 students were able to go off to college or to the, or to the military. I'm thankful for the pregnancy center that we support, helping young women find a different way, right? And because of our teaming up with them and others, right, hundreds, hundreds of children are walking around today who would otherwise have been killed. That's part of our victory. And I'm thankful for the ministry of, of John and Hannah Malone. You know, they're missionaries with pioneers living in Brooklyn, New York. And they serve with a team of people reaching out to 
Muslim immigrants in the city. And their desire is to make disciples and to initiate church planning movement among Arabs that begin in New York City, but extend beyond that as these people go back to their homeland. I'm grateful for these. And now, a cool thing we're going to get ready to do right now is, is um, uh, my son John is here um, this morning with us, and um, the elders and I, we're going to ordain and set John apart uh, for his mission work. So, John Malone, come on down. The elders will come up. Okay. <laughs> John Miles Malone, is, your desi- is it your desire to be set apart this day by the leadership of Maple Grove as a missionary for Christ and his gospel? If so, say it is. It is. John, do you believe that you are called by God for this work? If so, say I do. I do. John, the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship of the church, and to prayer. Will you strive to be devoted to these same four things? If so, say I will. I will. John, will you strive as Paul charged Timothy to set an example for other believers in speech, in life, in love, and faith, and in purity? If so, say I will. I will. John, will you strive to make the Bible the authority for your life and your ministry? Preaching the word in season and out of season. Holding fast to the Bible's truth when people want to hear it and even when they do not. If so, say, I will. I will. John, will you make getting better at what Jesus says matters most? Loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself, the number one priority in your life. If so, say, I will. I will. John, will you strive to pick up a towel in a basin and to be a servant leader like Jesus was? If so, say, I will. I will. John, will you strive to build a home, a marriage, and a family that can be an example to others of the beauty and blessings God intends for those things to be? If so, say, I will. I will. John Miles Malone, as David charged Solomon 3,000 years ago, I charge you. So be strong. Show yourself to be a man. And observe what the Lord requires. Walk in his way. Keep his word so that you may prosper and all that you do, and wherever you go. Amen. 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 Awesome. Awesome, dude. Thank you. <clears throat> Pretty cool. Amen. That was pretty cool. Like I said, when I think of Maple Grove, I see a picture of who we are, and I'm thankful. Uh, But I also see a picture of who God wants us to be and and where God wants to take us as a team. This, there is no me in team, team. Jesus spoke these words in John 4.33. Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and now ready for the harvest. Uh, Understand, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody has a right to know what we know. And listen, people today, with it, people today with an unprecedented thirst are searching for more. And I say what a great time it is to be the church. Listen, we are so fortunate to be living in, a, in this moment of history where people are looking for answers to life like never before. 
What a great time to be the church. Jesus said that spirit and the bride, and the bride's a church, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes to take from the free gift of living water. I understand our world is full of thirsty people and the church has been giving the living water that will quench that thirst. And listen, if that living water is ever going to get there, it's going to take a team. You see, it's only together that we will rise to become the church we've always dreamed of being a part of. Uh, we, We can't do it alone. We must do it in a team, in a team. Soldiers don't fight wars alone. Athletes do not win championships alone. I mean, all around us in books and in stories and in life, we see the truth of God that, to, that together is better. Understand Frodo doesn't stand a chance against the evil powers that seek the ring without Sam, Mary Pippin, Gandalf, Aragon, and the rest of the fellowship. And Dorothy will not make it very far down the yellow brick road without the tin man, the scarecrow and lion, and her little dog. To go along on a journey. We can't do it alone. But when each of us come together as a body, when each of us does our own special work, we will achieve more. So what's the goal? What, what is this team? What are we trying to build? What are we trying to do? Why are we here? What defines success and victory? What mountains are we, we trying uh, to climb? What, what, what heights are we trying to reach? What's a dream that compels us to reach higher? Brothers and sisters, when I look and dream of Maple Grove, I I see a place where the beaten, the turned off, the weary, and the broken are put back together again. I see a place where people with fears and skepticism about organized religion can come just as they are and discover maybe for the first time that they really, really, really matter to God. And in turn, they find a new and living hope in the person of Jesus Christ. I see a team that does life together where, where nobody has to run alone. I, I see real communities where, where masks are being taken off and we quit pretending like we did a few weeks ago, saying, hey, I'm broken. And I got sin in my life that doesn't need to be there anymore. When I look at you in Maple Grove, I see a team consumed by the truth that everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. And because this truth consumes them, They will do whatever it takes to bring as many people possible with us to eternity with Jesus. And because we tremble at the thought of these people leaving this earth without Jesus, we make praying for one, Lord, give me one person that I can share your love with today, the number one priority of our life. Question, who is your one? Are you praying for one? I see a team that, constantly breaks out of the walls of this building and becomes a constant, visible force in this community. A a church that has such an impact that that if we ever decided to close the doors, the community, we got a great compassion leader right there, would rise up in protest and say, you can't leave, we we need you guys. I, I see a team where everyone is striving to get better and better and better what Jesus says matters most. Loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and loving your neighbor, even your actual neighbors, like next door neighbors, as you love yourself. And some of you need to love yourself 
God does, right? God loves you. You got to love yourself. When I look at Juvenile Maple Grove, I see a team that is passionately pursuing the end of me so that we can more fully live for him and experience a real full and blessed life. I see a team of people who, like Abraham, say, Lord, even though I don't have all the details, even though, even though I don't know where I'm going, I still will say yes. Yes, Jesus, I will go. I will follow you. People who, like Caleb and Joshua, will realize that God's church was not meant to remain and exist in the wilderness of mediocrity. People who see the promised land, long to conquer it, and who fear no giants. I see a team that takes risks, that steps out, that puts it on the line, that prays bold prayers, that fears God, that it's open to the Spirit, and lives courageous lives of adventure for Jesus Christ. Uh, bottom line, I, I see a team that when the world looks at us, they see something different. Something that cannot be explained by human reasoning or effort. I mean, they, they see a team that, I, I see a team that is no longer content to simply go to church. Let the days of simply going to church be buried and gone forever. And let's be the church. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. And watch God add to our numbers daily those who are being saved. Anybody want to see any of those dreams become reality? Anybody want to be on that team? No doubt, no doubt about it. The greatest team on the face of the planet is the church. No greater mission, no greater work going on on the face of planet Earth than the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, can you think of any other organization that is redirecting the forevers of lost people? And listen, here's what I think God is saying to each of us today. Number one, get in the game. Get in the game. The game of joining God in his passionate pursuit of prodigal people. Reflecting his character, his goodness, and his purposes, and his love, and his grace to a watching world. Why? So that they might know him. And they might find him. See, God did not have you put on a uniform to sit in the stands, to sit on the sidelines, to tailgate in the parking lot, or to sit on our couches at home. No, he put us in a jersey so that we can play, play the game, so that we each will do our own special part to help this team. And I tell you what, I like this jersey but it compares nothing to the jersey that God gave me. On December the 30th, 1979, Paul says in Galatians 3.27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Talk about a jersey, y'all. Now that's a jersey. I understand on this team, everybody plays. And yeah, I get it. If you get in the game, you're going to take some hits. And you're going you're gonna to miss some tackles. You're going to fumble on the goal line sometimes. And there will be people who are anchored to their seats who will criticize you and judge you and boo you and cheer you and Facebook you and Twitter you and Instagram you. And Nevertheless, the field is where the action is. 
The field is where the game's played. The field is where, where Jesus is. Get in the game. That's why you have the jersey, right? Here's a picture of a guy. I, I didn't used to like this guy. I like him now. That's James Harrison. He's a beast. He's a beast. And, and he, he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, like, he's 39. He wants to play. He's like, hey, I know you give me money, but I, I, I want to play. <laughs> I still got some play in me. Cut me. And they cut him. And now he's on the New England Patriots, right? But he says, hey, I, I, I don't want to just stand on the sidelines. That's not why I'm wearing this jersey. No, I, I want to play. I want to get it in the game. I'm saying we need you get, to get in the game. We need you to do your own special work. We need you to have the humble mindset of Jesus of a servant. We need you to come here not to be served, but to serve. Amen? Get it? Good. I got a handout in the back that lists all our various ministries. Right? You can fill out your connection card and say, man, I want to get in the game. I don't even know what my role is, but I got to get in this game, this game of changing the world. How do I get in this game? Now, there's one area that I'll mention that it's one of our special teams. You know, children's ministry always needs players, right? Always needs new players in the game. Laurie especially needs people from kindergarten through fifth grade who are willing to teach them. God's kids, right? You know, um, we need more players. She definitely needs help in that area, all right? She's got a great team, but we need more people on that team. And if God has moved you to do that, right? If you feel like I should do that and you... I guarantee you the devil is never telling you to serve God, all right? That's not how he rolls, okay? Encourage you to do that. Um, I'll tell you another team, I'm looking for a team leader. Like church cleaning, we're cleaning the church now, you know, you know, not paying to have it done. And, and I, pretty much my kids and I are drafted in it and we're cool with that. But I would like a team leader, you know, um, you know who would say, hey, look, I'll be in church. I won't clean it all the time, but... You know, because I'll definitely guarantee I'm going to clean it once or twice a week, a month for you without a problem, right? But I need to say, you know what, I'll make sure the church is clean because that matters, right? And then that matters, right? People come in, the trash is overflowing, and and, and it's just dirt everywhere, right? You can see the floor having been vacuumed, you know? know, So if God's moving you, hey, I'll be that team leader. See, Bailey is, if you're a guy, see, Bailey's doing this uh, uh, lead like Jesus thing, right? It's coming up. It helped you be a, lead, a servant leader like Jesus. Ken Blanchard, a great book, great study, beginning on the 13th of, of February at 7 p.m. It'd be a great time for you to be a leader, a leader in this church, a leader in your home, a leader where you work. But, brothers and sisters, it's time to get in the game. That's why I got the jersey on. Jesus also said, run the plays. You, you know what? Imagine tonight watching the Super Bowl. And you're cheering your favorite team on, right? And all they did was huddle. I mean, like, every time they get the ball, all they do is stand around in a circle, holding hands, firing each other up, calling the plays, but they never break the huddle. Would you think something was wrong? Would you watch the game? Would they, would they win? No. Now, is it wrong to huddle? Absolutely not. In fact, it's extremely important. But eventually, a football team needs to break the huddle and run the play. And so do we as God's people. I mean, God didn't have you, didn't have us put on a uniform and, and walk between the chalk lines just, just, to, just to have a huddle. 
Just for us to come in this building once a week and to sing great songs and to lift our hands and to hear messages. That's not why he did it, right? And now coming here on Sundays, it's important, it's necessary, it's needed. But the bottom line is we, we got to be a church that runs the place. we got to be a church that, like Jesus, seeks the lost. Because there's lost people everywhere that are going to leave this earth without Jesus. We can't have that. A church that makes disciples, helping people change their lives. And a church that shows compassion to this dark, broke, and hurting world. we gotta, we got to run the place. Some of you got to say, get in the game. you got gifts and talents, and they're just sitting there. They could help the team and run the place. Finally, listen to the coach. This is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. See, the players, again, we, we got to listen to our coach. We've got to be in constant communication with our coach. Several years back, I noticed that on some helmets in a football game, they had a green dot on the back of the helmet. Thank the Lord, there's Google, right? We can always find an answer. And I'm going, like, okay, what is that green dot for? Well, in 2007, then they installed a receiver in the helmet on the offensive team. And in 2008, the defensive that receiver goes to the sidelines. So that person has constant communication with his coach on the sidelines throughout the game. And like matter, we need to make, when we're in that chalk lines and we're taking hits and it's looking bad, it's looking like they're going to win, it's looking like we, we want to just quit, throw in the towel and be done, we got to be talking to our coach. Number one, the reason is because we need to know what plays he wants us to run. Maybe we said, hey, I, I want you to you know, do a post. And we're going, hey, wait, I thought it was a running post. we got to find, hey, guy, what do you want me to run? Number two, we, we need his perspective of the game. He sees things that we don't see. Here's what he, and again, you know, I'm definitely footballing this, this sermon up. You know, I love football, and, and, and uh, I do. Um, but see, the, there's this thing, it's not actually on the field. Maybe you've seen it before. Let's see that yellow line thing, right? That's not really on the field. Like the players, they, they can't see that, right? And they don't know. Like, like this guy right here, like, did the ball cross yet, right? They don't know, hey, man, I'm tired. They're, they're pulling on me, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and no one's supporting me. Everybody's criticizing me. I'm not seeing anything coming from my effort. Am I even close to where I'm supposed to be? We don't even know. I just stopped running because this is hard. And the coach says, dude, you're almost there if you push a little bit more. Or when things are attacking you, right? You're like, wait a second, man, they're just running all over me. There's no way I can stop them. It's already over. The guy says, no, no, no. If you hit him right now, he's not going to get the first down. He's not going to cross the line. See, we need that constant communication. Because we need to know, right? Because sometimes, you know what? I don't know about you. Sometimes it looks like it's, man, it's, it's over. It's done. But God says, it ain't over. It ain't over. You got to play to the final tick of the clock, right? It's a full 60 minutes that we got to greatest team on the face of the planet is the church. And brothers, there, there's no me and team. God is saying, get in the game, run the plays, listen to your coach. I, I, just watch this short speech by Bo, Tom, there you go. There's no way in the world I would have said that right. Not in 300 tries. One more time, Tom. Okay, I'm not even going to try. Okay, he, he's, he was a coach of Michigan. And this is a speech he gave in 1983. Make sure it's nice and loud. This is good. 
Think what a great thing it is to be a part of something that is team. The team, the team. We're going to win it. We're going to win it because we're going to play as a team. We're going to believe in each other. We're not, we're not going to criticize each other. We're not going to talk about each other. We're going to encourage each other. And when we play as a team, when the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be sweet. It's going to be awesome. You and I know that the, the poor will hear the good news, that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be released, that the hungry will be fed, that the lonely will find a family, that the hurting will be healed, and that countless ever forevers will be changed because of the team, the team, the team. We're going to win this thing. Father God, I love you. And God, that, Lord, I can't believe you drafted us to your team. I can't believe you looked at us as messed up as we are, as falling as we are, as finite and frail as we are. I said, no, nah, I, I want you on my team. I gave you gifts and talents and abilities for this team that is helping lost people come back home. Holy Spirit, just move in us. Jesus, as you walk among us, you hear, you see what we do and you hear the, the thoughts of our hearts, maybe for this team. Help us to get in the game. And God, thank you for the incredible, the wonderful, the amazing love that drives, supports and surrounds this team, your church. Amen.